This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alif lam ra. Tilka ayatul kitabil mubin. إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ بِمَا نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ بِمَا نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ وَإِنْ كُنْتَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ لَمِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ نحن نقص عليك أحسن القصص بما أوحينا إليك هذا القرآن وإن كنت من قبله لمن الغافلين رب الشرح لصدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله على آله وصحبه أجمعين Assalamu alaikum everyone. Uh, it's been a long day for me and I'm f- actually ready to, alhamdulillah, put all of this together. I didn't want to lose another day of having an opportunity to share a session with you. Um, those of you that have been following this the series on Surah Yusuf know that I've uh, completed the ayah by ayah study. And I did a follow-up session with Sheikh Suhaib also. But there's quite a bit work uh, left on Surah Yusuf. And the first of those outstanding items is a study of the organization and coherence and structure of the surah. So I'm going to make some introductory comments about the importance of this subject and why it matters. Um, and then I'm going to start off that study. Uh, we certainly won't finish that study today. It's our first session about it. Uh, and I, I hope you'll appreciate you know, some of what, what it entails. Um, and then when we're done with the coherence study, our next sort of episodes of study, which I think will be the final episodes of study from Surah Yusuf, will be its connections to the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. So the parallels in the beginning of the surah were with Musa ﷺ and at the end are going to be with Rasulullah ﷺ. And that's kind of the final step. I might, if the opportunity presents itself, cover some outstanding issues here and there. Um, you know, some people have written very interesting papers and um, uh, some really good research on this subject. And I want to highlight that and maybe you know point you to those resources, inshallah. So why even study the organization and structure of the surahs in the Qur'an? Um, this is a, a, a topic that's very dear to me. It's something that I have been engrossed in studying and have been involved in trying to understand for the better part of the last 20 years. And the reasons are very simple. Allah uh, is the best of all speakers. And all speech boils down to organization. All speech, even a single word, is an organization of a number of letters. That's what a, what a single word is. And every single sentence is a coherent organization of words together. And every paragraph is an organization of sentences. And every, you know, every chapter is an organization of paragraphs. And every book is an organization of chapters. And every you know, subject is an organization of books. Book one, book two, book three, book four. And libraries are organized, like so all organization of human knowledge starts with the organization of literally one letter after the other, isn't it? So, and this is something divinely inspired. We were not capable of language. Allah says, عَلَّمَهُ الْبَيَانِ He taught the human being speech. And of course, you know from any education you've ever had, the most 
effective teachers you've ever had are the most organized in their speech. When someone speaks to you and you can tell where they start, where they end, they have a point, there's a beginning, middle, and end. When you're listening to somebody speak, they have a coherent way of tying all the ideas together, right? Storytelling is about good organization, creative organization, but structure and organization in speech is a necessary component of being able to communicate. And people can, you know, you can have different kinds of organization and each organization has its own effect. But if speech lacks organization, so if I start talking to you and then I start jumping to a different topic altogether, then come back to a third topic, then a fifth topic, then a seventh topic, like, you know, nowadays, for example, I teach Arabic and I have a certain curriculum, so I want to stay on topic. And then some students say, I want to ask you a really advanced question from some other ayah. And somebody says, what about, what about this ayah? Or what about that ayah? Or what about this concept or that concept? And one of them is from chapter 5. Another one can be from chapter 37. Another can be from chapter 42. And if I start answering them, for anybody who's listening, that will become a compilation of incoherent speech because I didn't stay on topic. I went all over the place, right? So if I stayed on topic and organized my thoughts in a way that helped everybody at least get this one concept, that would be a coherent session. And incoherence would mean that we're just all over the place and we don't even know where we ended up by the end, right? Now we claim that Allah, Muslims believe that Allah is the teacher of speech. Like human beings did not have that ability, Allah gave it to us. And we also believe that the highest of all forms of speech is Allah's speech. So all human speech put together, all of the product of the human mind in all of the libraries, in all of history, throughout the world, every piece of poetry man has ever produced, man or woman, every book of philosophy man or woman has ever written, every book of science, every book of knowledge, every book of history, everything that human beings have ever been able to compile as a product of this incredible mind, the entire collection of the human mind across history is in the mind of a Muslim, nothing compared to the word of Allah. It cannot even compare. And Asuyuti rahimahullah said to appreciate the distance between us, our speech, and the speech of Allah, then you is the same as the distance between us and Allah. Like Allah and the creation cannot be compared in the mind of a Muslim, right? The same way the speech of Allah and the speech of a other than Allah cannot be compared. So if we say that our speech is supposed to be organized and it's supposed and it's coherent and it makes sense when it's organized and structure and organization is so critical then if Allah has the best of all speech, then He has the best of all organization. There's no way that His book is void of organization. Hamiduddin Farahi would even go as far as to say that Allah, the one who organized every bone in your body, every limb, every artery, every vein, every vessel, and organized them in perfect place. Think of it, take it a step further. Every cell inside your body organized. All the proteins in your body organized. All the bacteria in your body organized. All, you know, all the components in every part of my scalp, of my brain, of my heart, organized exactly where it's supposed to be, meticulously placed. And the one who organized the stars in the heavens and in the skies, organized the, the structure of every crystal, every snow crystal, uh, just didn't organize his own words, didn't organize his own speech. Does that make any sense to you? That's how he opens his book on Dala'ilul Nidham. So the first thing to note is there is absolutely divine organization in the Qur'an and the idea that the Qur'an is chaotic or doesn't possess structure, doesn't have any 
organization is because we read the book in English translation and we judge it by English literary standards. And in, by English literary standards, it does seem like the subject is jumping all over the place. And our first assumption is that the book doesn't possess any order or any structure. The more I studied this topic, the more I realized that the Qur'an has its own standard of organization. That's the first thing I'd like you to note, that the Qur'an has its own standard for organization. And because it has its own standard, if you come with preconceived ideas about what standard, what organization is supposed to be like, and then you try to have the Qur'an meet that standard, you're going you're gonna to be disappointed because the Qur'an will not meet the standard that exists from the product of the human mind. The Qur'an is coming from a divine source, the owner of all speech. He has his own method of organizing his speech. There are, of course, elements of what Allah has taught human beings in the Qur'an too, in its, in its organization. If it was entirely divine, it would be beyond human comprehension. So Allah spoke in a way that we can understand. So you can understand literally in this surah. In Surah Yusuf, you like the cool little pyramid situation? I, yeah, that was cool. as Valerie suggested that, I was like, yeah, it's a good idea. So we went with it. But anyway, so the point is that clear organization is a fundamental component of what Allah does. It's one of the sunnahs of Allah. It's mizan, it's balance, and everything putting, you know, being put in the proper place. So if that's the case, then just like the organization of the stars is worthy of contemplation, just as the human being explored the organization of the human body and discovered you know, breakthroughs in medicine, as we discovered the organization of atoms and you know, molecules and of chemical components, we discovered revolutions in chemistry. The, the world around us is actually the product of the exploration of God's organization. Every, everything we have is because we explored what Allah gave us and we made sense of it and we organized our knowledge around it. And we discovered the structure and the patterns in it. All of mathematics boils down to structures and patterns. All of science boils down to structures and patterns. And so to think that studying Allah's work and studying the structure and pattern in what Allah does, in the ayat of Allah, that's okay for the rest of the universe, but it's a futile exercise for His own word. Well, He calls the rest of everything He created, when you contemplate it, you find His miraculous signs in it. You find ayat in it. The argument then I would present to you is, if the star and the sun and the moon and the, and the, the mountain and the camel have ayat in them, well, the Qur'an has what in them? What does he call them? Ayat. And if contemplating that yields such remarkable discovery and brings us to an awe of Allah, then why wouldn't the contemplation of Allah's own word increase our awe and appreciation of Allah. So my per, I'll give you my personal reasons, not reasons I've read in a book. or I, I, My personal reasons for studying this subject is the more I study the subject, the more I find myself in absolute awe of Allah's speech. Like, I'm just in awe of how He speaks. And this is one of the most, you know, humbling, overwhelming subjects for me in the study of the Qur'an. I just find it absolutely breathtaking. It, just, it literally takes my breath away every time I study a new surah. And I've done this sort of analysis of the structure of surahs and at some preliminary level, I've done it for about 47, 48 surahs. This surah, before I even came to it, um, some people have done some amazing work on it already, actually, on the coherence of the surah. And I'll be taking advantage of their work when the time comes. Um, the 
portion of it that I'm sharing with you today is my own work. Uh, and the portion that I will share with you in maybe in two days from now, or in the third session on this, will start from the work of another individual. I'll highlight his name. I'll also tell you where you can find his paper. I believe he has a YouTube video or two also on his work. So you can check that out. Also, based on it, I created a presentation because I have my own teaching method and teaching style. So uh, I've incorporated that work, but it's important to give credit where it's due, right? So we're going to do that, inshallah. And I, I'm, I'm really glad that others are now you know, taking an interest in this remarkable subject uh, and, and its, its value. Now, that's one, one valuable reason why we should study this subject or pay attention to this subject at least. The other, of course, is that people have, in fact, claimed that the Qur'an is chaotic and that's presented as one of the most common literary criticisms of the Qur'an, that it's all over the place, that it doesn't seem to have any organizational structure. And this study shatters that view. It absolutely crushes that view. And you can't study the subject with, with intellectual honesty and walk away with, oh, the Qur'an is chaotic. You just won't. You'll just find yourself in awe of what Allah does. What, what seemed in, in disconnected and random at first will become a humbling example of organization. And you wa I walk away saying, ya Allah, I, no human being could do that. Only you could do that one. Yeah, and that one. And that one. <laughs> but then there's a third reason. For me, in my own Qur'an studies, we have this principle in Quranic studies called Al-Qur'an yufassiru ba'duhu ba'da which means the Quran elaborates itself. Allah's speech is like sometimes Allah's speech is like a seed and it turns into a flower somewhere else. Right? So you 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 hear something, you read Allah say something and then it opens up elsewhere. Like an easy example is Allah says wal right? He swears by time that human beings are in loss. Then you study the history of Dozens upon dozens of nations in the Qur'an uh, who didn't make, take advantage of their time and ended up in loss. Right? So every time those nations lost was actually under the shade of the seed planted in the words وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ Time and time again, the losses throughout history that are recorded in the Qur'an become part of the tafsir of وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ You understand? So there can be some very concise words and they're elaborated elsewhere, right? And that, that happens many places in the Qur'an. Allah will talk about shirk in one place and explain what shirk is in another place. Right? So you're familiarized with the concept, one thing about it, but way more details elsewhere. You might get a glimpse of Musa salam somewhere and get a much bigger picture somewhere else. So there's clearly a, what, what's called a big word, so you can sound smart about it, is intertextuality. There's a very intricate system of intertextuality in the Qur'an that the words of the Qur'an and the themes and subjects in the Qur'an are deeply connected to each other, right? And you can't study something in isolation without understanding how else has been, it's been talked about, right? Um, but under that, when the Qur'an explains itself, right? And by the way, that's uh, Suhaib's PhD thesis is actually Tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an. It's the history of how was the Qur'an explained through itself in, the Muslim, in Muslim scholarship. Right, that was my colleague Sahib Said's PhD thesis, which is available, by the way, if you just check it out. It's a big, heavy read, but uh, it's awesome. Uh, but on this subject, one thing... Oh no, my battery's running low. Oh my god! It's the power supply that from the teaching machine, if you can grab it. Okay. So, you know, one thing that I will say is, when you study organization and structure inside of a single surah, then what part of a surah seems to be better understood or unfolded by yet another 
portion of the same surah becomes clear. Like you know, we should look at this ayah also in light of that ayah. Why? Because after structural analysis, it became clear that these two ayat are corresponding or correlated to each other. They have a connection to each other. And how do we know they have a connection to each other? It seems that they have a connection to each other because if you study the organization, there's a, there's a line drawn between them. Right? So this is kind of the tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an concept further elaborated. Like now we know which ayat to place against which other ayat within the same surah. Now there could be other elaborating ayat outside of that, but inside of the surah, this makes that job a lot easier and the job of contemplating the word of Allah with new appreciation when you look at something in light of yet another thing. So you'll see an example of that today when I attempt to compare the opening of Surah Yusuf and the closing of Surah Yusuf. Now let's just talk about it in the most simple terms first. The opening and closing of Surah Yusuf, the opening is the first three ayahs, 1 to 3, and the closing is 102 to 111. So the numbers are again 1 to, one, 1 to 3 and then 102 to 111, right? And so obviously the, the last passage is pretty big compared to the opening. Now why am I separating those two? Because the rest of it is the story itself. So from ayah number 4 all the way to 110, that's the story itself. The story of Yusuf every single ayah speaking about the events that occurred. So the narrative of the story is from ayah number 4 to 110, and then there's an opening introductory passage in three ayahs, and there's a concluding passage from 102 to 111. So our first task is going to be to compare the opening and the closing and see if they have any correspondences to each other. It's almost like an open parentheses, close parentheses kind of relationship. I realize also that, you know, I have a pretty diverse audience. Some of you folks have background in Qur'an studies. Uh, some of you are Arabs, so you understand Arabic. Some of you have background in Nahu and Tafsir and Sarf and things like that. Uh, and so if I speak entirely in Arabic terms, you might be able to appreciate that more. But some of you that don't have Arabic or Quranic studies or Islamic studies background will feel like you've been left out. But if I speak only in simplified English terms and I don't address some of the, you know, the, the, the Arabic citations that go with it, then the people that are into Quranic studies actually kind of feel left out because they can't tell which Arabic I was referring to when I made this English comment or the other. So what I've tried to do in this presentation, and that's why I think this is important, is I've tried to kind of find a balance between both of those. So I've tried to, um, on the one hand, compare uh, you know, the Arabic texts, and as soon as I'm done comparing the Arabic texts, I'll show you the English equivalent PowerPoint, so you can kind of see, even in basic English, what that's referring to. Did you find it? Okay. All right, so let's begin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. This is the opening in Arabic. Alif Lam Ra Tilka Ayatul Kitabil Mubin Inna Anzalnahu Quranan Arabiyan Laallakum Taqilun. Notice I told you. Yeah, you can come around so when you won't be, you won't, don't worry, you'll still be in the ghaib. But not this way, you gotta come that way. Yeah. Oh no, it shut down. Oh my god. Perfect timing. So let's have an awkward uh, commercial break in the middle. How's it going? Can you put the comments on? I want to see weird comments. It's always entertaining. You click on comments. Just in time, Zegu. I am not impressed with the battery life of this machine, but alhamdulillah. Can you, can you read me some of them? I can't see. I have weak eyesight. 
You want a what? What? You want a name like Isa? People are mashallah. Okay, we're back. Now I'm plugged in. Okay, so let's talk about Alif Lam Ra Tilka Ayatul Kitab Al Mubin. Inna anzalnahu Quranan Arabian laallakum taqilun. This is the first two ayahs. Now remember, I told you the first passage is made up of three ayahs. But I'm only taking a small portion of that, the first two ayahs. Now in these ayat, Allah says that these are alif lam ra, those are the miraculous signs of the clear and clarifying book. So a few things I want to highlight to you here. The surah began by letting us know that this is coming from a heavenly origin. Tilka means that, or those rather. Those is a pointer for the distance. Ismul ishara lil ba'id. The bu'd of it, the distance of it is because revelation comes from the heavens, so the word those is being used. Alif, Lam, Ra are words no one but Allah understands. So that already is almost alluding to its heavenly origin. Then he says, these are not ayat of Qur'an, they are ayat of Al-Kitab. Al-Kitab meaning the book. And the book literally is in its written form in the heavens with Allah. So the references in the beginning, even as Allah speaks, is referring to the heavenly origin of the Qur'an. And then he says Al-Mubin, which means two things. It's both Lazim and Muta'addi, both transitive and intransitive, which means it's, it's the clear book. So its message is clear. Its demands are clear. Its guidance is clear. Uh, its worldview is clear. But it's also clarifying. Clarifying. What's the difference between clear and clarifying? You read something and that was clear. So you understood it. That's clear. Something you read clarified that situation. So it's one thing that it is visible in and of itself, so it's clear. But if it's clarifying, it's shedding light on other things. You understand? So think of it this way, uh, uh, illuminated and illuminating. The room is illuminated, or, you know, that means I can see what's going on inside the room. The room is illuminating means even the living room is being lit up by this room. You understand? So the Qur'an is both clear in and of itself in what it has to say, and it clarifies. Now what does it clarify? It clarifies what you must do in different situations. It clarifies how your emotions should be you know, uh, uh, regulated. It also clarifies that it's Allah's speech. It, make, it keeps making itself clear that it can only be divine. So that's part of the clarification of the Qur'an. He says then, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا We certainly in fact are the ones who sent it, meaning the book, down as an Arabic recital. So it's, it's the clear and clarifying book, and we sent it as an Arabic recital. So that all of you, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ So all of you can understand. Okay, so what did he do here? First of all, he sent it down as a recital. Recital means an oral experience, right? Something spoken. And then he mentioned the purpose. The purpose of this all is so you can understand. Now if you think of the word aql, at the very basic level, it's about just thinking, just using your mind. He wants you to think about what he's saying. And he made it easy for you to think about it because he gave it in language that is easy for you to process. Fine. Now, I'm going to the very, this is the very beginning of Surah Yusuf, yes? Now I'm going 110 ayahs later to ayah number 111, which is the very, very end of Surah Yusuf. And that's not even the last ayah, it's the end part of the last ayah. The last ayah is pretty long. So I'm taking you now to the very end of the last ayah of Surah Yusuf. مَا كَانَ حَدِيثًا يُفْتَرَى It's not speech that has been made up. 
Hold on. He started the book by describing its heavenly origin, right? And now he's saying it's not made up speech. Isn't that two sides of the same coin? He started with the positive. It's of heavenly origin. And if somebody is questioning, is it from heavenly origin? This is from heavenly origin? Uh, by the end of having contemplated the entire surah, now Allah gets to say, do you see now that it's not made up speech? Do you see why I said that it's heavenly origin? So it's as if I told you so is coming at the end in makana hadithan yuftara. It's also interesting that in the beginning Allah said that it's an Arabic recital. And recital means something that's heard. But hadith is talk. And Allah is saying, this is an Arabic recital, not just speech people made up, make up. Just because you hear it coming out of a man's mouth, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, doesn't make it speech like any other made up speech. This is being recited. This is being read of heavenly origin. So there's this amazing contrast between even hadith and yuftara and Quran and Arabian. Then we said in the beginning, Allah said that this book clarifies, right? It's clear, didn't I say it's clear and clarifying? Now listen to this. وَلَكِنْ تَصْدِيقَ الَّذِي بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ However, it is a confirmation of the revelation that came ahead of it. The revelations of the Torah and the Injil, previous revelations, it's confirming the truth that was inside of them. And it's pulling the truth out from within them and making clear which part was true and which part was not true. So now this, con this concept of taking books that have been made unclear, and the clear message that was made unclear, and the truth of it is being brought out and confirmed. Isn't that part of making, the, making things clear? And then the one who knows that previous scripture and reads this book, doesn't this book in and of itself become clearly divine to them? Like this is the same God. Whatever good I knew of that God from my reading of that scripture, this is the same God. This is, this is it. This is what the Christians come and cry to the Prophet ﷺ when they met him. They say, إِنَّا كُنَّا مِنْ قَبْلِهِ مُسْلِمِينَ We were already Muslim. Before we met you, we didn't even know. That's what they come and declare. You know? Then Allah says, now listen to this. Again, an elaboration of what? So you can understand. Because it's clear and clarifying. Those were the notions in the beginning. Now He says, وَتَفْصِيلَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ He says, and it's an explanation and a separation of all things. It separates and clearly like, breaks apart and explains all things. The word mubin actually comes from bana, which is to separate, and the word fasl is actually then first to separate and then join. So there's even a completion of the two phrases. The word tafsil and the word mubin have a relationship with each other. And now he says, and it, it explains all things related to guidance. Then he says, and it's a guidance. It's guidance. Now, if somebody thinks about because in the beginning Allah said, I gave you an Arabic recital so you can think. Why must we think? Because thinking will necessarily be one of the keys to understand Allah's what? Guidance. It's like he mentioned the prerequisite in the beginning and he mentioned the goal at the end. The prerequisite was you need to be thinking. And if you truly become people that think, then you will have what from this book? Guidance. Its guidance will open up to you. Wahudan. And it's not just guidance that opens up to you. He says, rahmatan, And Allah's loving care opens up to you. So he's taking the idea of understanding the word of Allah. He says, why should you want to understand the word of Allah anyway? What do you get out of it? What do you get out of understanding a textbook, a physics book, a math book? What do you get out of understanding programming? You have some goal that's going to get you a job or it's going to get you to graduate. Some goals in front of you when you want to study something or learn something and understand something. Allah says, I want you to think about my big book because what are the goals? Guidance and Allah's rahmah. 
And in the beginning he said, so that you can understand, right? At the end he says, but why do you want to understand? For people who truly seek to have faith. For people that are seeking faith. It's really interesting, two groups were mentioned. In the beginning, Allah said, people who are trying to understand. People that should want to understand. And at the end, people that want to confirm their faith or strengthen their faith. People that want to think and people that want to confirm their faith. What has Allah done? A remarkable parallel between two things. Someone that wants to strengthen their faith and really firm their faith must then spend time thinking about Allah's words. When they become people that fulfill لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ They will become people that are لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ those, there's a connection made between the two. So developing ourselves spiritually and connecting to Allah is not a mysterious process. Just spend time with Allah's word and think about it. Simple as that. So that's now I've compared 1 and 2 and some of the themes in 1 and 2 to the very conclusion in 111, the last part of 111. And this is kind of the English kind of summing up the ayat that they're clarifying book that it's an Arabic recital for you to understand and then at the end that it's not made up speech, that it confirms, that it explains, that it's a guidance, that it's a mercy for those who seek faith. Okay, so that's the very top and the very bottom. All right. So this is the Arabic of what I've already explained. The very top and the very bottom again. Let's go a little bit further. Then Allah says, نَحْنُ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ القصص. This is the beginning again. This is the third ayah. Right? But not the entire third ayah. The opening of the third ayah. He says, we are the one telling you the best possible narrative. Which means a few things. It means the best of all stories. It means the best way of telling the story. It means the most beautiful parts of the story. And the most beautiful version of the story. Because there are ugly versions of it too. That are out there. That are circulating in the world. But this story, the best of it, the most beautiful of it, is when I talk. And the best way of telling it. So what is Allah describing? How this, the story that's about to be told is the best from many, many, many points of view. Simple enough. At the end, right before what we just said, you know how I said it's not made up speech? Right? And I started talking about that at the end. But right before that, in the same ayah, he said, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ In their story, there is a profound lesson for people of sound minds. Notice in the Arabic, نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ لِأُهْلِ الْأَلْبَابِ In the beginning, it was لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ Which I haven't even, it's right above it. And here, لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ People of thinking, people of sound minds. So you think, so you become people of sound minds. Allah is highlighting two different things about stories. The, two, the mention of qasas in, the, in this surah, here and at the end, beginning and end. And, and strategically placed. Now what's the connection between these two comments? On the one hand, it's the most beautiful. On the other hand, what makes it the most beautiful? What did you, at the end of the whole, because Allah hasn't even told you the story yet. Think of it this way. Allah hasn't even told you the story yet. Before He even tells you, He says it's the most beautiful story. And you're like, beautiful how? Like the drama in it? Or like the, the themes? Or the action in it? What? The suspense? What's the most beautiful part? What's the most amazing? You don't know. You don't know. Allah hasn't told you what is the most He just says it's the most beautiful. That's it. 
Now that he's done telling the story at the end, he mentions, hey, I saw it. remember I told you it was the most beautiful story in the beginning? Let's talk about that again. Do you see now that in their stories there are profound lessons that move you to tears for anybody who truly has a sound mind, meaning people who really deeply think? Did you realize what made it so beautiful? Because I tell you, I've been, I've been trying to study Qur'an for what, two decades now? And when, you, when, when Suhaib and I were going through this surah over the last year, we were just in awe of how beautiful it is. Before even my lectures, when we would be discussing the ayat, we were like, Ya Allah, this is so beautiful. This is so incredible. Like we were just overwhelmed sometimes. I was like, yep, you know what, we got to stop here. I know we didn't finish discussing the ayat, but I don't think I could talk more about, more about the ayat than we just discussed today, because this is already too heavy. We'd have to stop like that multiple times. Because... The ibra, the lessons, the profoundness dawned on us over and over and over again. We lived that experience. And I hope those of you that followed along the study of the surah saw that. So these words now have, there's a claim in the beginning. It's the most beautiful. And then there's a conclusion at the end. Do you see the lessons in it? Do you realize what made it so beautiful? Did it touch your heart in the most beautiful way? Did you see your reality in a different way? Did you, did you find new love for prophets in a different way? Did you see, did you see Allah's, Allah's uh, love and His care and His invisible protection in a different way? Like, did you see how it's helping you cross over so many situations? Do you not find when life becomes ugly, you turn to this surah for a beautiful counsel? Sabrun jameel, beautiful sabr, right? So it's this incredible tie-in at the end. It's, it's so amazing. And then finally, so this is what we've done so far, qasas and qasas. So it's not just the words are mentioned, but the way the words are coming together is, you know, and the way that Allah is tying it all up at the end is just mind-blowing. So now we come to this last uh, comparison. So we did the opening, which was about the, the things made, comments made about the clarity of the Qur'an. Uh, the second comments were about stories themselves and the way the story is being told and what we get from it. And then we get this third piece. This is still part of ayah number three in the beginning. He says, "Bima awhayna ilayka hadha al-Qur'an, wa in kunta min qablihi la min al-ghafilin." On account of the fact that we've inspired to you this recital, this Qur'an, even though before this you were completely unaware, you were completely unaware before this. So Allah says, "I'm telling you the best story." And this best story is part of the revelation of the Qur'an that I'm giving you. So the Qur'an is the larger body of Allah's speech. And within that, I've given you the most beautiful way of telling a story. And I've told, I'm telling you something that before this, you had no knowledge of whatsoever. Who's he talking to? The Prophet ﷺ. Yes? Simple enough. When you turn to ayah number 102, which is the beginning of the, the final passage, listen to these words. ذَلِكَ مِنْ أَنْبَاءِ الْغَيْبِ نُوحِيهِ لَيْكَ That, meaning all of that what I just told you, the story of Yusuf, ancient Egypt, the dreams, the king, all of it, that is from the news of the unseen that we inspire to you. That is from the news of the unseen that we inspire to you. Let me take you back to the beginning. بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ Because of what we have inspired to you. And at the end, the present tense, نُوحِيهِ إِلَيْكَ We are inspiring news of the unseen to you. 
And what did he say then? وَمَا كُنْتَ لَدَيْهِمْ إِذْ أَجْمَعُوا كَيْدَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَمْكُرُونَ Listen to this carefully now. At the end, at the end Allah says, and you weren't there when they were making their scheme, when they got, the brothers got together, and they were making the hashing their scheme. What does Allah tell the Prophet Muhammad You were not there. How could you have known? You weren't even what? You weren't even there. Now look at the beginning. وَإِن كُنْتَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ لَمِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ And for sure, you were completely unaware in regards to this. <laughs> the opening was, you couldn't possibly have known this story. The end is, were you there when the brothers were scheming? <laughs> Again, reinforcing the same idea, you weren't there. You were, you were completely unaware. But now, what is Allah do? Allah is highlighting something new. It's not just a beautiful connection, Nuhi ilayk, awhayna ilayk, al ghayb, hadha al-Qur'an. It's not just that. But there's something, and by the way, it's also really for uh, Arabic students, هذا Quran is this recital. It's اسم الإشارة للقريب. The pointer that's nearby is this. So it's a fragment, this Quran. اسم الإشارة للمشارة للي, those of you that are Arabic students. But then, instead of هذا at the end, instead of saying هذا من أنباء الغيب نوحيه إليك, he said ذلك من أنباء الغيب نوحيه إليك. ذلك means that. And I told you in the beginning, that refers to something that from a distance. So what did Allah do? I have made this Qur'an, access, this recital accessible to you here. But just because this recital is accessible to you here, don't forget its, its origin. This is from the news that belong in the unseen, that we have inspired down to you. And what's even like the smallest details stylistically get to me. If you notice in the beginning, I, somebody might think there's a typo here, that I accidentally put part of the fourth ayah in the Arabic. I didn't, actually, it was not an accident, I did that on purpose. The fourth ayah, which is not part of the introduction, because the story begins from ayah number four, remember? The fourth ayah is, إِذْ قَالَ يُوسُفُ لِأَبِهِ When Yusuf said to his brother, Yusuf said to his father, My father, I've seen eleven stars, the sun and the moon, the dream. And it began with the words, when. So one way you can read it is, and for sure, you were completely unaware, you were among those that have no, had no clue when Yusuf said to his father. So the beginning can be read as the Prophet's being told, you have always been, you are absolutely among those who have no clue of the time when Yusuf spoke to his father. Now, on the flip side, this, that is from the news of the unseen, and you weren't there when, the beginning was what? When? When Yusuf spoke to his father. He says, and you weren't there. When? The brothers of Yusuf were making their scheme and coming to a consensus. <laughs> so, highlights twice the word, even the word when. When here, when there. Now, that's pretty cool textually. But if you think about the fact that in the beginning Allah already said, this is a recital. Recital means it's being spoken. Take time to listen to a recitation of Surah Yusuf. How long does it take? 45 minutes? An hour? An hour of continuous speech? Yeah? After three minutes of talking, do I remember if I use the word when in a certain sentence and I should use it again later? After, after an hour of speaking, do I remember what were the first three concepts I started with the end at the... It, ABC is what I started with in my speech. And at the end of the hour... I should go CBA, without a script, without notes, without a PowerPoint presentation. I should just go in that order and tie everything together. Is my mind capable 
of doing this at this distance, pages and pages and pages apart from each other, hours and hours apart. I don't even remember the sentence. I, if you ask me to remember or take into consideration what I said 30 seconds ago, and then based on that, choose words that I'm about to say, I can't. That's gone. Somebody will say, hey, you said that in your recording. I'll be like, I said that? I am not capable of being consistently conscious of the speech that I just made once I've made it. I'm just moving on. I'm, in a, I'm, I'm looking at speech in linear fashion. I made point A, B, and C. Now I have to think about what? D. And I can make re reference to maybe point A and B here and there, but I don't ex know exactly all the words I said. I didn't memorize them. It's not a script. I'm improvising as I go, right? And if you ask me to go backwards in reverse order, I couldn't do it. I, I'm not capable of that. That's not humanly possible for someone who is speaking. Muhammad Rasulullah is speaking to the Quraysh. And he's not telling the Quraysh, hey, check out this amazing connection between the introduction of Surah Yusuf and the end of Surah Yusuf. Do you see what Allah has done? He's not doing that. And maybe the Sahaba don't even see it. It's possible. Why is it possible for you and me to see it? Because we're looking at it as a text. We're not looking at it as... Speech. As speech, you would have to develop a really sophisticated mind, and it would take a lot of contemplation for no paper, no visualization, for you to be able to see this. Yes or no? But when Allah does this, and doesn't even claim credit for it, and this is why the Qur'an is the word of God. No, no. What did he say later, elsewhere? He said, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ Quran." Why don't they contemplate the Qur'an? Had it been from someone other than Allah, they would have found a lot of conflict in it. Meaning the more they contemplate the Qur'an, the more it dawns on them it's the word of Allah. And the Qur'an will be contemplated in two ways. Just listen to this carefully. The Qur'an will be contemplated in two ways. One way will be as a speech. Like the Sahaba contemplated it. And one way it was meant to be contemplated at the same time as a book. Because the Qur'an calls itself speech, and the Qur'an also calls itself a book. Now the way you contemplate speech is your mind processes speech different. Your mind processes literature differently. They're two different intellectual processes. Reading what, what I'm saying to you right now, if this was in the form of a book, it would impact you differently. You would take away from it differently. You would retain from it differently. Because your mind processes what is read differently from what is heard. Speech and reading are different events for, for, our, for, for the intake of information, for a, for a teaching point of view, right? I can't, for example, expect my students to say, hey, I'm going to write an article, read it, then I don't have to give a lecture on it. I can't do that. They need to hear it from me. The Qur'an is necessarily an audible experience. Why? Because it's fundamentally a part of the prayer. Allah made sure that the Qur'an is heard and heard and heard and heard and heard and that became part of the, the identity of the Qur'an for the Muslim. And yet at the same time, the Qur'an is also the mother of all scholarship in Islam. All the books in all the Islamic libraries are being spawned from contemplation of the Qur'an. Even the sunnah is being understood in the shade of Allah's word. Actually, the greatest scholars of the sunnah describe the sunnah as a tafsir of the Qur'an. It's just the Qur'an being explained because the Rasul is what? Al-Qur'an yamshi, Qur'an walking around. So his actions are simply an elaboration of what Allah says. That's what they are.
But to think that just in pure speech, because when I'm writing an article, right, then when I'm done, I'm going to proofread it. I'm going to edit it. I'm going to take out redundancies. I'm going to find that I repeated myself too much. I'm going to find out that this needs to move to a different chapter. I'm going to maybe cut out some sentences, shorten some sentences, find an alternative word. Won't I do all of that? In the, in the beginning today when I was reciting, I actually mentally, I forgot how to recite the, for the, the second ayah, third ayah. I made mistakes multiple times. Memory can fail. And you have to refresh your memory. In speech, you don't get second chances. In writing, you do. In writing, you write something. Uh, don't hit send yet, hold on. So you can see the person dot, 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 and then they disappear. They're like, hey, they're rethinking what they said. Right? But then if you just speak, it's too late. The first version is the final version, isn't it? The Qur'an was given to the Prophet ﷺ as what? Speech. I said this many years ago, I'll repeat myself. There was no editorial process. There's no time to, no, no, this fits better here. No, put this here instead. No, place this there's, there's no editorial process. This is what it is. Directly. And when you look at it directly like that, you find this incredible intertextuality that's so deeply organized that for me at least, I know I'm not trying to say that this is definitively the miracle of the Qur'an. It may not be for somebody. It is for me. For me certainly, this is one of the most powerful elements of divine beauty in the Qur'an. And even wisdom in the Qur'an. Now I know to think about the qasas in two ways. Now I know when he says the Qur'an is clear, I should see that in light of you know, تَصْدِيقَ الَّذِي بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ تَفْصِيلَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ هُدًا وَرَحْمَةً Now I know that the people لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ What will they get when they have the aql of it? They will, be, they will further their iman. لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ I, I see a connection between the two now. I see a connection that if you become people of thought, that you can become ulil al-bab. I can see the most beautiful thing Allah wants from the Qur'an for us is ibra, is lessons, profound lessons. That's what He wants for us. I can see that when, when he says, you had no knowledge when Yusuf was speaking to his father. And then at the end he says, you had no knowledge when the brothers were making a scheme. It's so beautiful because both of those scenes are from the opening of the story. And both of them are secret conversations, but one of them a good one, one of them a bad one. Right? And Allah is basically telling the Prophet you don't know the good that's happening that you don't even know about. And you don't know the bad that's happening that you don't even know about. That's not your business. That's for me to know. <laughs> it's so beautiful that in the beginning, it was the good and the end that was the bad that was highlighted. You weren't there when this happened. You weren't there when that happened. I was. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's going on. And that's the, for the Prophet and by extension us to internalize. Allah knows and you don't know and that's okay. People are doing a bunch of things you don't know. People are having a bunch of conversations, ugly ones about you, about someone else. You don't know. It's okay. You don't have to know what Allah does. Brothers are scheming about Yusuf. Really? What are they scheming? No, it's okay. You don't have to know. What's going to happen is going to happen. If Allah will allow them to do harm, then it will happen and nothing can stop it. And if Allah will put a stop to them, then nothing can make it happen. That's, it's done with. Stop fearing people. And stop being depressed that no good is happening. No, some good is happening. A small conversation between a boy and his father is the reason that hundreds of thousands of people did not starve to death in Egypt. That little conversation between dad and son about a dream made world history. 
<laughs> so don't underestimate good that's that you don't see conversations you don't see what a profound lesson just like the the quran is unseen revelation is unseen just like that the acts of allah from the unseen are also constantly taking place and there's a connection drawn between those subhanallah all because this because of this intertextuality so i find tremendous benefit in this study anyhow there's a part i skipped and that's what i want to highlight to you now so i compared ayah 1 and 2 to the final portion of 111 i compared ayah number 3 the opening of ayah number 3 to the earlier part of 111 working backwards then i compared ayah number 3 to ayah number 102 which is the beginning of the final passage what I skipped, however, is ayah number 103 to 110. So there's an add-on passage here. I've put the gray box here. But that's actually a huge chunk of the final passage, which has nothing apparently to do with the beginning. It's an addition that's in the end that did not exist in the beginning. Okay? So it's like this. The colors are telling you what's going on. So it's the, the, the orange and the orange coincide. The red and the red coincide. The gray and the gray, the top gray coincides because we inspired, you know, um, uh, we inspired, and then this recital, that is the news. You were unaware, you weren't, una you weren't there, and then the word went, and then the word went. So the parallels are there from 102 to 3B is what I'm calling 3B here. But 103 to 110 is a different subject altogether. So in the next session, I'm going to try to highlight to you what this next section is doing there, what its logic is and how it's connected and why does that make sense. So that's what we're going to explore then, this kind of a deeper look at the final passage before we start going into the story and how the story itself is organized. I hope you guys enjoyed this session and I hope you guys get benefit out of the study of uh, this remarkable nazam of the, of the surah. Um, and I hope that I am able to complete it in, in decent time. But I don't want to overload you with all of these observations in one session. I want to slow it down and take them one bit at a time so you get the most out of each of these uh, observations. Barakallahu li walakum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. I will move it up, but I'm wired up today, so I can't do the mechanical thing. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the, uh, the classic uh, 